The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hey, welcome to the Inn. Uh, thanks for coming out tonight. My name is Mike. Uh, a lot of people call me Voy. Feel free to. The name take says Voy. Not very many people know me as Mike. I probably won't respond if I hear Mike. My mom's here, though. I'll hear Michael, and I will respond to that. So um, It's funny hearing Zach talk up here about uh, going to Young Life because of girls only. I feel God is weird sometimes. Like I think that God speak to us, speaks to us in very unique ways for the way that he has created us. I feel like God has spoken through girls to me my entire life. I don't know why. I used to come, I, I was an in-goer. I graduated four years ago from the U. I used to uh, come to the inn and sit right where you guys are sitting. I used to sit in that back corner right over there. And there used to be these girls. They were gymnasts here at UW. And they sat against that wall every time. And I always thought, this is the day. Today is the day that I talked to these girls. And for two and a half years, I did not talk. Every day, I had one friend, I had one friend at the end, we would come every week and we would sit there and we'd be, we'd give each other pep talks beforehand, okay, today is the day, we're going to say something, you know, like, oh, how about that sermon, huh, like, God is awesome, you know, we didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what to say, you know, but I came and I sat in the back for a while and it never really, uh, never really got anything, but I got a lot out of it, you know, learned a lot about God in the meantime and, and heard some pretty cool things. Anyways, this idea of defining characteristics, I don't know if you've gotten to a place in your life where you go, this is, uh, this is like, this is what people kind of know me as. I always thought it would be so cool if people knew me as the guy that could just, you know, get any girl I wanted. Obviously, that's not true because we saw that in college, sitting in the back. But I would say defining characteristic for me at this point in my life has to be, I think, is my ability to hear something new, hear an idea, like a good idea, and get on board with that. Like, get excited about something. I love new things. I love change. I love when people are like, hey, I got this really good idea. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if you're excited about it, I'm already excited about it. I don't even know what it is. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about my role here as the student leadership coordinator is getting to work with uh, students that are excited about doing something. That's actually why I'm so excited about the two, uh, the two spring break mission trips we have going to the Dominican Republic and going uh, down to Cambodia over spring break. And if you're looking for an opportunity to go serve over spring break, these are tremendous, tremendous Opportunities, And we don't do them here at the end because we as a staff think, oh, here's what would be cool or we know some people down there. But because we had a number of students come back uh, from spending spring or summer in these places and going, there is some crazy stuff going on there. But God is doing something there and, and we really, really, really want to take a group of students. And it's because of students that are excited about those things that we're doing those trips. So uh, if you're looking to, to go somewhere over spring break, know that we got some awesome, awesome opportunities around here. Don't miss out. On those. Um, but, uh, but my defining, you know, that's a defining characteristic for me. I, I'm sure that uh, you're starting to learn what your own defining characteristics are. And tonight, as we continue this series in Revelation, we're going to be looking at uh, what I think could be the defining moment in Revelation, chapter 6. It's a tough chapter. It's why a lot of people stop reading the book of Revelation at this point, because it's kind of a tough chapter. But it really, it really defines a lot of Revelation, and we're going to take a look at that. And I don't know, for those that have been coming out, you might be like me, and that's that you might be wrestling a little bit with this idea of revelation. Man, revelation? Like, this is a heavy book. There's a lot going on, a lot of symbolism I don't always understand. And, and I think it's tough when we look at that and go, how exactly does this apply to my life right now? And I think there's some very, very applicable things that we've seen in this text, but it does take a little bit 
to look at this, which I think is, is so, so applicable to our lives, but um, sometimes we've got to dig in to see it. And I think most of you guys, or probably some of you at least, are like me. When we open the Bible and we look at Scripture, we look in a certain way. Oftentimes we'll look for a passage that has to do with the situation that we are in right now. So like if we're stressed out with school, we open the Bible and we're like, I don't know exactly where to go. Uh, is there something in here that says don't stress out or don't worry or God's going to be with me? And I look and look and look. Okay, I found it. Oh, good. I'm going to be fine. You know, or our girlfriend breaks our heart, you know, breaks up with us. And we're just, oh, my gosh, I'm here. And there's got to be something in the Bible for this. So we open up and we're looking for that passage that says, you know, God will comfort me when I'm hurt. Or that one passage that says he will not let her date anybody else the rest of her life. She'll live a life of celibacy and singleness and until she finally realizes I'm the one. And then she comes back to me and like it's happily ever after. And we look and we can't find it. You know, we're looking for that verse, but we look for something that applies to our exact situation. And I know I do that too, and, and that's one way we look at Scripture. And as we look at this Scripture in Revelation tonight, I challenge you to take a little bit of a different approach to it. And uh, this approach comes, comes out of the Bible. It actually comes out of uh, a book called Colossians, which is a book written by a guy named Paul. And, and he's writing to a group of people, a group of new Christians. And what he says to them, is, is, is he's talking and they've just become Christians. And, um, and if you've just become a Christian, just started following Jesus, that's awesome. I'm excited you're here. This is, is kind of what he's talking about. If you've been a Christian your whole life, that's awesome. That's to you. I think it applies to us too. Um, if you are here and you're, you're not a Christian, you say, I'm not really a follower of Jesus, but I'm curious what's going on. Hey, great. We're excited you're here. Uh, and if you're thinking, hey, I'm, you know, maybe I want to take that step, but I'm not quite ready yet, that's totally fine. I'm going to work excited to have you out here. But he's speaking to this group of new Christians and he says this. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Now that you are a follower of Jesus, you, you can't act necessarily the way that you did before. We say, OK, I get that. And then he goes on to say, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. What he's saying here is, okay, when you, become a, when you become a Christian, when you say, okay, God, I want you to live in me, we become a brand new creation. Brand new. The old is wiped away and a new creation is in us. God is now living inside of us and we're transformed. We're transformed now. But what he's saying is, you have been transformed. You are a whole new person. But your mind still thinks the way that it once did. And now, for you to continue living, you need to have your, not just to live, you know, but to continue uh, moving and, and, and living for Jesus, you need to have your mind transformed. And how that's done is, is through renewing, being renewed in knowledge. And how are we renewed in new knowledge is we take off the old and we put on the new. That's renewal. Take off the old and put on the new. It's kind of like painting a house. I don't know if any of you guys have ever uh, painted houses before. Uh, I used to spend my summers during college painting houses. Loved it. I loved seeing a new house, a brand new paint, and seeing, oh my gosh, a finished product that was awesome. But what I hated about painting houses was scraping off the old paint. It was awful. It took so long, it felt like you were doing nothing. And it was, it was by far the worst part, but you have to scrape off the old paint in order to put on the new paint. 
And that's what Paul's talking about here about our lives is we have to transform the way we think. And sometimes we need to leave some of the things that we think and then let our minds be transformed and put on new ways of thinking uh, that, that, that are found in God's word. So you guys know this. We all know this is that that what we believe shapes our attitudes and our actions. Okay, our beliefs shape our attitudes and our actions. What you believe about me shapes your attitude toward me. If you think I'm a liar, if you think I'm, you know, can't be trusted, you probably don't really care what I have to say. If you've only talked to my mom, you probably think I'm the greatest guy in the world. Um, but what you believe about me shapes your attitudes and your actions. And that's true with anything. What we believe about relationships, what we believe about God, what we believe about money, what we believe about sex shapes our attitude and our action toward it. The problem is, is that we live in a world that specializes in false advertising, specializes in false marketing. Ladies, do you know that every day, every day, you're being told that in order to be lovable, you need to be beautiful. And you need to be beautiful the way the world defines it, in such a way. And because we all want to be loved, that's what we start to believe. And that's just not true. But the world tells us that every day. Guys, every day we are told that our worth is found in our accomplishments. So if we accomplish big things, we have worth. But if we don't accomplish anything, we don't have any worth. That's what we're being told. And that's a lie. But we live in a world that specializes in false marketing. And not just people that specialize in it. Sometimes we believe things because like our parents told us things or, you know, they thought it was right and they actually wanted the best for us, but just didn't tell us, you know, things exactly the way they are. I remember very, very directly third grade. I don't remember much about third grade, but I remember one thing. Me and my dad having the talk. You guys know what the talk is? Everyone know what the talk is? Talk is sex. Okay, the talk is when your parents sit you down and say, here is what sex is. If you haven't had this talk yet, um, Amber, Amber, the sweet girl that came up here and did announcements, Amber will be in the back afterwards. She will, she would be more than happy. Amber would love, Amber's right over here. Amber would love to have the talk with you. It's something that we all have to learn at some point. But third grade, I remember very directly, I'm sitting at home watching TV with my dad and something comes on TV about sex. And he's like, uh, son, why don't you go, go do something else? You know? And so I was like, all right. You know, I come back, he turns the TV off afterward, and he sits me down, and he starts running through things. And, uh, gosh, how am I going to explain this? Um, I didn't really think this one through. Okay, so <laughs> he's, uh, he's telling me, he's basically explaining this. And, you know, when you hear about this, this is a phenomenon. I don't know, sometimes you might be excited, sometimes you might be like, that's weird, I don't know. But, okay, so he's talking, and he says, uh... Two people, okay, kind of joined together, okay? Joined together, and then, uh, and then what happens, and this is how babies are made, is that uh, the guy, he pees a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this is what my dad tells me, okay? For any of you that don't know, that's not how babies are made. But that seems to be maybe a rational explanation for a third grader. Anyways, that did not get me a lot of street cred on the playground. Okay, in fact, I went out and spread this information with people that already knew information that was way more accurate than the information I had. And I took a lot of embarrassing 
setbacks. I was always behind. I never knew anything. My parents, I, they kind of sheltered me in that region. I had these two friends who were always like, hey, we know you don't know about this, so come alongside. We're going to tell you about this. Anyways, what I believed shaped my attitude and my action toward it. And in that case, that was not necessarily true. Um, and, and I think that uh, in society, sometimes in society, we see what the world tells us and what the Bible tells us. And we go, okay, you know, I see the Bible tells us something different. I, I think I should live the way the Bible tells. But sometimes, you know, the world's telling us something and it, we get mixed messages and we don't know what to do with that. You know, I hear a couple different messages in popular music. I mean, for instance, I'm driving down the street the other day and I turn on my radio and this is the song I hear. Okay, so I'm listening and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling Jason Derulo on the radio. And I'm like, yes, yes, like this is how life is supposed to be. I want to be riding solo. I want to be single. I want to be cruising, you know, in my car with my shades on. You know, that's what, that's what the world's telling me I should be rolling. And so I kind of get that in my mind. And then the very next song that comes on the radio. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. No, 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 that totally changes. <laughs> I do not want to be solo. I do not want to walk this earth. And how could there be two songs that are titled almost the exact same thing that tell me the exact opposite message? Oh, what am I on earth am I supposed to do? And if we always just listen to what we're being told, we never, we don't know. We're always going to be flip-flopping back and forth. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I was all confused about life. Um, but uh, So what do we do? What do we do with this? If we're looking at the Bible and we go, okay, we want to live for Jesus. I want to live more for Him. I don't know exactly how. What we do is, is that we continue to renew our minds. Renew, we'll be renewed in knowledge. We take off the old, we put on the new. And sometimes that means bringing to the surface some of the things that we believe that may or may not be true. At one point in my life, I believed that what it meant to be a Christian was you did not smoke cigarettes, you did not swear... And you did nice things. That was the definition of Christianity to me at some point. And it's somewhere along the line, I had to transform the way that I thought. I had to take off that way of thinking and believe what Jesus says it means to be a follower of him. Which is not necessarily that. And when we do that, we are transformed in our mind and our, our resistance to God's will in our life fades. And we start to understand what it means to live for him in this life that he has for us. And tonight, as we take a look at Revelation 6 and some interesting things in here, my challenge is, can we, can we be renewed? Can we take off maybe some of the old ways of thinking and go, okay, there could be something in here as we change the way that we think a little bit. Let's dive into Revelation 6 together. Let me pray for us. God, uh, help us in this moment, Lord. Um, God, you know that we need you. God, we know that you're here. Let us see you. Let us know you more through this scripture. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive right in. For those that haven't been here following in Revelation, uh, it seems like a complicated book, but, but what we've seen so far is five chapters, and that's a guy named John who's having this revelation. Okay, he's talking about the revelation, the apocalypse. It's the unveiling 
of what's going to happen in the future. So he's out there on an island by himself, and he's writing kind of crazy so that, um, so that the people that are trying to stop this message from getting out don't get a hold of it. And so what we see is, first we see in Revelation, John write about um, some very practical things to the churches that are there uh, around the area. And then we see the sky be opened up in this vision that John has, and we see a throne up there, and, and, and uh, John looks around and he doesn't see anything, and there's a scroll as well that has all kind of some of the secrets about what's going to happen at the end time. And at first, John has a hard time because he doesn't see anybody that can open this scroll and let us know what these, you know, what's going to happen in the end. But then he sees, he looks back and he sees Jesus up there. And uh, he sees Jesus up there and Jesus is about to open uh, this scroll that has seven seals. We're going to go through these seven things together in this chapter. Now, seven is this, is this number of biblical completion. When we see the number seven, we know that this is heavenly. Things are complete. You know, it's like uh, six. Six is a number not quite complete. It's a very earthly number, 666, the number we often use for the devil. So, uh, remember, we're going to look at seven seals here. Okay? So, uh, we're going to jump right in. Chapter 6. He opens up these seals John is watching, and this is what he says. He says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Okay, so this is the first horse, a white horse. White horse usually means good things. And in most you know, popular movies, the white horse is good. In Taylor Swift songs, the white horse is good. And, um, and here uh, we think the same thing. A lot of people think this might be Jesus coming out on this horse. But a lot of people also think this might be deception. That at the end time, we might see uh, deception. People looking like Jesus, things looking like Jesus. This is the first horse coming out. But we keep looking. Okay, in verse 3 it says, When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When we see this, things start to turn a little more difficult. Now we see, we see a red horse and, and a guy with a big sword, and this is symbolizing war. We're going to see war. At the end times, people are going to start turning on each other. And we keep reading. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Uh was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Okay, this black horse that comes out, this is symbolic of famine. We're going to see famine at the end time. And we see that because uh, three quarts of barley and and one uh, quart of of wheat were a day's wages. You worked for a day, you took that money, you were able to buy that much uh, wheat and that much barley, and that was enough to make bread for one person for one day. So essentially it's saying, well, we, when we get to the end time, we're going to see that you're going to make enough money in one day to provide food just for yourself. How are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to pay rent? How are you going to buy gas at that price? 
I don't think he worried about that at the time, but, you know. Um, but then it says, do not damage the oil and the wine. And these were very expensive things. These were for the fine or the rich at the time. And, and uh, this is, you know, a tough one because it says, are the rich just going to be left alone? Do we see even more disparity between the poor and the rich? The poor just get poor, but the rich are fine. But he talks about famine. We're going to see famine at the end time. That's tough. Okay, we keep going. Then the Lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, this fourth horse coming out, pale color. This is, this is the color of rotting flesh. It's the color of death. This horse is symbolizing the personification of the grave. Picture a grave just riding around on a horse, scooping up dead bodies everywhere. It says in the end time, we're going to go around and we're going to see a lot of death. We're going to see famine. We're going to see war. You know, we're going to see death. And in this section, this is actually a pretty well-known section. Some of you may know this. It is known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They call. And uh, we found this is what the four horsemen. You Google four horsemen of the apocalypse. You'll find that. These are, these are those guys coming to, you know, ride over the earth and, and try to conquer with evil. Okay, you keep Googling Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, you get the Lego guys. Everybody loves the Lego guys. Although they're the meanest Lego guys I've ever seen. But, um, but that's another thing you get when you Google. If you keep Googling Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, you know what else comes up? These girls. I don't know if they're evil in some way. I know one of them's Paris Hilton. But uh, I don't know, maybe they're evil and also bringing bad things into the world. I don't really know. Anyways, enough about that. Uh, it's probably not going to help us at all tonight. Uh, keep going. Um, it's on Google. Google knows all. Um, all right, what we see when we keep reading uh, is that then he opens the fifth seal. And it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign God, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Essentially, these guys are martyrs. These are people that have been killed for Jesus. These are good people that are hanging around saying, How long? God, how long do we have to wait before justice is served? And I think, you know, and we're going to talk about how all these are pretty applicable to our world today, but here's another one that's pretty applicable. I think we do the same thing. Is oftentimes when we start living for God and we start trying to uh, make our actions aligned with what we think God would want, we start saying the same thing. What we want is fairness. We want justice. We want everybody to get what they deserve. So we go, hey, I'm acting good. I want to get what I deserve. These people over here, they're acting bad. So how uh, they should get what they deserve. They need to start getting bad things. I remember being back in the fraternity uh, back when I was in college and you know trying to be a nice guy at sometimes. And, you know, nice guys always finish last. That's sucks but uh trying to be a nice guy and then you know you didn't really get girls at time and then you see these guys over here that were just mean to girls they treated them horribly you know they didn't have any responsibility and you're like oh my gosh i hate the way that guy treats girls but yet he would still get all the girls all the girls still liked him that was the moment that i said this world is not fair and i think we look around sometimes and what we want is fairness we want people to get what they deserve we want justice But we keep reading. Okay? So we get to, we get to, uh, verse 12 and we see the sixth seal opened. And it says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. 
And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Okay, essentially the sixth thing we're seeing is, is this earth starting to collapse on itself. We're seeing natural disasters happen all over the place. This world's starting to fall apart. And this is, this is bad news. Okay, and as we look at, at chapter 6 of Revelation, there's not a lot of good news in there. In fact, when it points to the end time, what we really see is bad news. We see rough times coming. And I think it's why this section of Scripture is so applicable to our lives today, because we look in the future uh, in Revelation and we see this happening, but we also look in our world right now and we see this happening. Don't we? We look around and we see, we see earthquakes. We see natural disasters happening. We see earthquakes in Haiti, in Chile. We see, we see hurricanes happening. We see uh, tsunamis. We see these natural disasters and go, uh-oh, this is, this is right around us. I think this is why so many people want to predict that the end of the world is coming soon, because we see these things. You know, we see war. We see a lot of civil war, people trying to uh, kill off whole races. A lot of genocide happening right in front of us. Uh, we see death. We see kids dying all the time. I mean, I, I, and I think we look at this and we go, how, how could this be? I mean, how could this be? How could this happen in a world where God was in charge? How can we look around the world and see four and five-year-old kids in Africa that, that their parents have died of AIDS and these young kids have AIDS and, and, and they don't even have clean water to drink? How is that happening in our world? Where's God in this? You know, how is it that we go to Cambodia or we go around this world and we see seven, eight-year-old girls kidnapped, drugged, sold for their sexuality against their will? And at 10 years old, no longer being worth anything because their purity's gone and being thrown out on the street, now orphaned with nowhere to go. How could this be? How could this be in a world where God is in charge? And sometimes I look at the world and go, God, where are you in this? And sometimes I look at myself and I go, God, where are you in this? Got to look at my life and I go, you know, I hear all the time. How could you, how could you let my sister pass away if you're in charge? How could you let my parents get divorced if you're in charge? God, I'm trying to live this life for you. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't know how. God, I want to start living for you. I want to start a stop sleeping with my girlfriend, but I can't. God, I want to stop looking at pornography. I know it's wrong, but I can't. God, I want to stop looking at a scale and finding my worth and what that number reads. But I can't. And we look around this world and we see the chaos and we go, God, where are you? And we look at ourselves and we see the chaos. And we say, God, where are you? And if we close this book right here, looking at the end time, looking at now, this isn't necessarily good news. In fact... It's pretty bad news. It's sad news. It's the feeling that God is not in control. It's the emotional response we have to a life without God. Because when we don't have God in our lives, there's something missing. And deep down inside, I think we know it. 
And it's the same feeling that, that John had in chapters 4 and 5 when he looks up at the throne and he doesn't see who's on it. And he looks at a scroll and he doesn't see anyone that can open it. And he starts crying. It says he starts crying when he opened up and he didn't know who could open this scroll and read it. Because he didn't see Jesus. He didn't know where God was. And isn't this the same response we have when we look around the world and we want justice and we don't see it? We see the pain and the suffering. And it's difficult. So why then? Why does this happen? If God is so good, why is there bad stuff happening all around us? First of all, that's a very, very tough question with a tough explanation that I'm not going to be able to give that full explanation to that tonight. But it's a great question we ask. And I will tell you this. We have a God who is all about peace, about love, about grace for us. And God loves you and He loves me so, so, so incredibly much. And He desperately wants this life for us. One that's filled with grace and love. One that's filled with richness and joy and fulfillment. Now this life following Him is not easy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say it's not going to be tough at times. And it absolutely will be. But it's a life to the full that He promises and He desperately wants us to choose this life. One that chases after Him. One that lives in response to Him being on that throne of our lives. But He's not going to force us. He's not going to make us. God is not about making robots. And He gives us the free will to make that choice. And the end of the world that we see, the end of the world here... It's not God looking at us and and saying, man, I I hate that sin. I'm going to kill you all. And throwing lightning bolts down and and striking us. The end of the world is God saying, you want to be your own God? You, you, You want to be in control? Okay. I'll let you. And taking his hands off. So here you go. Hold this thing together. And watching as the world collapse collapses. That's what we see in the last part of that text is it's the world starting to collapse on itself when God says, there you go. I won't make you follow me. What does that mean? Does that mean we lose heart? And if the book ends here, yeah, it's bad news. It's tough. And we feel like John when he looks up and he sees the empty throne and, or he sees the scroll that can't be opened and he says, where are you? Jesus, and he starts to weep. He starts to cry. But then, as we read last week, uh, some of the elders go, John, wait, 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 wait. Look, 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 look. Stop crying. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus, is here to open and read this scroll. Don't freak out yet. Look around you. Jesus is here. And as we look on in Revelation, we actually have to go to chapter 7. And we have to read a little bit more to understand more of this story. In chapter 7, starting in verse 2, it says, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. He said, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Don't hurt this world until God has came and taken his people. 
to the promised land. That's the good news. That's the message of Revelation chapter 6, is that there's bad news all over the place. There's bad things that are going to happen, but in the midst of that, there's good, good, good news. That those marked for God will be taken away from that pain and that suffering. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be marked for God? It doesn't happen by anything we do, but by the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price when his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. Not because he expects us to get it right all the time, but because he knows that we're going to get it wrong. He died for us because he knows that you are going to walk out of here tonight and I am going to walk out of here tonight and we are going to choose evil. We're going to choose the ways of this world. Because there's evil in this world. But the good news is that we're protected from that. When when we say, God, you are my God. And I want to live for you and I want to accept this gift of grace that you offer me. I want you on my throne. God, come have a seat. This love and this mercy are for you. And there's nothing that you can do. And there's no action that you've done that's too bad to separate yourself from that love. That's the good news. But in order for that good news to be good, sometimes we have to look at that bad news. It's kind of like um, the thought, think about being out in the middle of the ocean. Middle Pacific Ocean in a rowboat. I own a rowboat. I'll tell you the last place in the world I want to be. Middle Pacific Ocean. I was on like a half mile wide little channel that the current was running. And I was like, uh-oh, the motor broke down. And I felt uh, that was not somewhere I wanted to be at all. Uh, pretty scared in that moment. But being out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a rowboat is not something that I see and look at and go, that's good news. But when we step back from that, and we see the sinking ship that we used to be on, we get pretty excited about having the chance to be out on that rowboat. That in the midst of the bad news, in the midst of some bad things happening, there's good news for us. And it makes that good news all the more powerful. So my question for you tonight is, how do you live in response to the fact that there is not resolution yet? That this world we live in, in the kingdom of God, this already but not yet, the kingdom is here upon us, but but we're not taken from this yet. We still live in a sinful, sinful world. We still live in an evil world. We still live in a tough place. We're not taken away from that pain yet. How do we live in the broken world? Do we just ignore it? Do we say, oh, you know, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. God, you're good. No pain. I'm fine. You know, does it paralyze us? Do we say, oh, my gosh, it's too bad. There are too many bad things happening in this world. God, you can't be here. Or do we look around the world and say, hey, maybe God can use me. This should be a call to action for us. This should inspire us to want to help bring good and do good in the midst of evil. This should move us to be people that love and serve others with everything that we have. Because we live in a broken, broken world. But we have the light of the world. We have the good news. Of eternal, of eternal life.
And when we let our minds be transformed by that knowledge, we're transformed in His truth. Let us be people that allow our minds to be transformed in the image of God. And let our actions and our attitudes follow accordingly. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for a tough section of Scripture, God. We thank you for a section um, in your Bible, in your Word, that's uh, somewhat hard to look at because of, of the bad news involved, Lord. But I just I thank you for the good news that you give us. God, I thank you that you came and you're here, God, to save the world, Lord. And I just, um, I pray that we would know that even more. Amen.